loan officers. Join the mortgage calculator as an MLO for unlimited mortgage leads and up to 250 BPS compensation. Welcome, everyone. My name is Kyle Hershey. I'm the COO of the Mortgage Calculator, joined here by our president, Nick Hershey, and our sales manager, Jose Gonzalez. We are a correspondent lender that specializes in non-QM loans. And every Tuesday and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we do our loan officer training series. Now, this week is a little off because tomorrow is the holiday. So we're doing our Tuesday event tonight. But we will go ahead and get into it here. And then we do have part two of this on Wednesday. So we'll skip a day in between this week. Still great trainings, still going to be kind of a part one and a part two. So the topic for this week is going to be fixed rate second mortgages. So when we're talking about second mortgages here, we are not talking about HELOCs, home equity lines of credit. We're talking about fixed rate second mortgages. So with that being said, I will let our sales manager, Jose Gonzalez, with 27 years of experience as a loan officer and a realtor, Give us a breakdown here of fixed rate second mortgages. So go ahead, Jose. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us for our training on second mortgages and helos. So to expand a little bit on what Kyle was just mentioning on the difference between home equity line of credit and a home equity loan, obviously they're both tapping into the equity of your property, keeping the first mortgage intact, if that's what you choose to do, even though they are available as a standalone product. The main difference here is that the HELOC is an open-ended mortgage, is a variable rate, and what we mean by open-ended mortgage is that you will pay interest on the amount that you actually owe. So if you reduce the the balance, your interest expense will decrease. If you increase the balance, your interest expense will increase. That is totally separate from if the interest rate increases or decreases. We're just talking about how the amortization works on a HELOC versus a HELOAN. The HELOAN has a fixed amortization. Whether the balance goes up or down, your payment will remain the same according to the amortization table. So uh, another very important distinction between the two and the main reason why it is part of our training today is that the he loans do allow for alternative document type for income verification, right? On the he loans, we are able to uh, use 12 or 24 months bank statements along with uh, full doc for our primary and investment properties. Now, something else I would like to note is that we do have multiple options for this program. So it's we're sort of combining where it doesn't become too confusing the highlights from one or the other. Uh, but just note that uh, one of the options that we have that only allows for primary and second homes does not allow for investment. That option does allow for the use of P&Ls, and it also allows for the use of 1099s with a 10% expense factor. I will touch on those a little bit more in the presentation, but I will tell you that we are combining from a couple different options here in our highlights, even though we do have the preferred option, 
which is going to be the one that allows us to uh, go uh, full doc or bank statements on primary, second home, or investment property. And the investment property part is the big one there because in HELOCs, uh, they're usually only for primary and second homes. So expanding a little bit here on what I was just talking about, what is a HELO? Well, we just mentioned it's a closed end second mortgage secured by real estate. Closed end, again, meaning that the amortization is set. Your payment is not going to differ based on the balance, right? Your payment is going to be what it is from the onset of the loan. If you bring the balance down through accelerated payments, that's great. You'll pay your loan off quicker, but it does not alter your monthly payment. Now, like I did mention, the HE loans can be a standalone product. However, uh, most of the time, the big benefit to the HE loan is the borrower does not want to touch their existing first mortgage. Maybe they have one of those 2 or 3% interest rates, but they do want to tap in on the equity that the property may have experienced, the increase in equity may have experienced in the last two years where real estate markets have been especially active and where we have seen property values rapidly increasing. Our max CLTV is 90%. Uh, if you do combine this loan for a purchase, you do not have to pay mortgage insurance above 80% TV. That's another big big benefit because the LTV is only going to be based, I mean, the MI or not is going to be based on the LTV of the first. So if you go above 80 not a problem, no MI. Or if you do a combo loan, even better, no MI. This is one of the ways that we allow for financing of condos without reserves. We do a combo loan. Now, this he loan will subordinate to an existing first, like I mentioned, so no need to pay off that super low rate first. <clears throat> that is why the origination on this product has really been taken off. We didn't have an option previously for bank statements nor for investment properties but with a second mortgage, and now we do. So who qualifies for a HE loan? Well, I'll tell you first with who does not qualify for a HE loan. That would be for national. These are for U.S. citizens, permanent resident aliens, non-permanent resident aliens, uh, primary or investment property. However, you will note entity vesting is not allowed. So they do still have to take title in their in their personal name. That may be a drawback for some of the investors that have their properties titled in an LLC. So, you know, just keep an eye out when you are structuring your deals. No entity vesting allowed. And also another real important one that differs from a lot of our, our loan products uh, on Occupant co-borrowers are also not allowed. So any co-borrower on the loan, they have to be an occupant of the property. So let's get into some of our credit requirements. Again, here's where we do have a little bit of um, binding uh, the different uh, programs here. But just note that in all the options, uh, we can go, and this would be the most lenient 
uh, one here with we can go with credit scores as low as 640 with at least one trade line reporting in the past 12 months. However, for our preferred option, the one which does allow for the investment properties, uh, that one is a minimum 660 credit score with at least three trade lines reporting for 12 months or two trade lines reporting for 24 months with activity in the past 12 months. So this would be for our preferred option, the one that does allow for investment properties. Seasoning on title, minimum six months to uh, be able to use the appraised value. Now, that does not mean that you cannot do a cash out refinance with less than six months seasoning. But if you do, they're going to use the lower of the purchase price or the appraised value to determine value, the loan to value, and then the cash out will be based on that. So it's a little bit of a twist on the normal requirements for a cash out. Another nice note here is that asset verification is not required. So we do not have to verify reserves nor anything like that for this type of a product. Uh, credit events. Now we're, we're talking about closures, deed in lieu of foreclosure, uh, short sales. Those types of credit events are going to require at least 48 months seasoning. That's four years. Why? Well, because remember, when they're in second position, it's a lot riskier for uh, the lien holder than when they're in first position. They're in second position. They have to foreclose. They're going to have to pay off the first mortgage. And if there's any money left over, then they can start paying off, you know, satisfying their own debt. So obviously that's why you see in second position, they may be a little bit uh, pickier, you know, a little bit more picky in their credit. And that's one of the one ways they do it with 48 months seasoning on credit events. And now depending on the option that you choose, the one that I guess I consider the preferred option has zero times 30 times 12 on all mortgages with a minimum 12 months housing history. However, the option that is for uh, primary and second homes only that does allow for 1099 and P&L income types as well does require zero times 30 times 24. So for the past 24 months for that option, you would have to have no 30-day lates on the housing history. And you can see why, because they do allow additional income types, which are probably a little riskier. So it's overall a little bit riskier for their portfolio. So they, I'm assuming they are hedging the risk on that portfolio by going zero times 30 times 24 on the housing payment history. And some of the options do allow only using the Experian version 8, right? The the FICO 8, what they call as opposed to the FICO 2. The FICO 8 tends to be the one more used by a consumer credit. That's the one that they use more for credit cards 
versus the FICO twos, the one that's used more for residential lending. However, you all know that a lot of times there's a big difference between a FICO two and a FICO eight. Sometimes the eight is higher. Sometimes the two is higher. So depending on which way it, you know it, it is for your borrower would be one of the options and you know would be one of the things that you would strongly take into consideration when going seeing which option and by the way the the option that does allow uh the use of the experian version 8 is also the one that allows a credit score as low as 640 so 640 score and only using a fico 8 that could be a nice situation uh, for some of your borrowers and uh, what are some of the properties here that we would allow this is something that's very important to note because not all property types are allowed i mean let me go with the ineligible properties you cannot have a manufactured home you cannot have condo tells you cannot have non-warrantable condos you're going to have mixed use now, what is a non-warrantable condo? You know, some of you may ask. A non-warrantable condo, which would be a condo that does not meet the current Fannie Mae guidelines uh, in terms of different requirements like uh, percentage of delinquencies in the HOA, uh, the percentage of renters to actual uh, owner occupants, for example, or it could be a building that is still under control of the developer, hasn't been passed over yet from, to the to the HOA, to the condo association. So those could be examples of unwarrantable condo, or it could be a building where more than one entity owns a certain percentage of the units. I think usually the cutoff for that is like around 10%, but that may vary uh, from investor to investor. Uh, condo tells, we all know, you know, condo tell would basically be a condo that is set up like a hotel that allows short-term rentals and that has a, basically a front desk. Now, that doesn't mean that a, a, a condo building that allows short-term rentals is automatically a condo tell because condo tells tend to have restrictions on what you can do with the unit. Condo tells usually put a maximum amount of time that the owner can occupy the property in any given period of time. Sometimes they'll say the longest that the owner can occupy the property is 30 days. Sometimes they'll say the owner cannot occupy the property for more than six months in any given year. So that really depends on the specific bylaws for that condo. But due to all of those extra restrictions is usually why the condo tells are unacceptable, aren't accepted. And then, of course, manufactured homes are not, are not eligible. Now, again, I'll, I'll expand on what is a manufactured home because there tends to be a lot of times confusion on that. You know, manufactured homes are typically uh, going to be pre-built somewhere else at a factory. They are usually trailered to the home site in two pieces right and then they are assembled the two pieces are put together at the, at the site once they are assembled and permanently affixed to the land then there is an affidavit of a fixture 
that is generated, which basically that's like the day that the manufactured home was born, the day it became a home, the day it transitioned from being a trailer or a vehicle, because prior to being permanently affixed to the land, the manufactured home has a vehicle title. It's titled like a car with a serial number or I guess a vehicle ID number, whatever you want to call it. But the day that it transitions to being permanently affixed to the land is the day that it becomes a home and it gets uh, permanently, should I say, uh, it has a folio and now you will find it as a piece of land instead of as chattel. So manufactured home differs from a mobile home. Many times, you know, people will send us emails on like, can we do financing on mobile homes? A mobile home is a manufactured home that doesn't have land associated with it. Whereas the manufactured home is a mobile home that has land now associated with it. It has a folio number, permanently affixed to the land, no more wheels or anything like that on it. That's the main difference. We do lend on manufactured homes. We just do not lend a second mortgages, he loans on manufactured homes. I guess they consider them too risky. Uh, so that's just one of the property types they don't allow. So then obviously that leaves us everything else you see on the list, our typical single family or PUD, which is could be a single family attached like a townhome or a single family detached, warrantable condos, two to four units, duplex, triplex, fourplex, modular homes. Now, again, modular homes could be confused to be a manufactured home because modular homes are built on, are assembled on site from pre-manufactured pieces. But a modular home will be much more like a what we call a site-built home in that the modular home in many cases will look like a typical home. It's not going to look like a manufactured home, which to, you know, see, you always see the manufactured homes are raised up. They have a cross space where the wheels used to be uh, versus a modular home is just modular. It's prefabricated at the factory. They could have the plumbing, the wiring and all that on the individual pieces. And then on site, the modular homes are assembled, but they are they do meet more the guidelines of a site built home. Uh, more you know, in terms of what you would expect, the uh, durability of a site-built home, stick-built, I guess, is what they would call a stick-built home, even though it's not going to be made out of sticks. It could either be concrete block and stucco. It could be frame and stucco. It could be frame and siding. The main thing is it's not a manufactured home, which is just two pieces put together on site. Uh, one other thing to be aware of here is declining markets. We do have some markets in the U.S. which are declining now. Those are you know, going to be issues with those. And also, we uh, cannot have any properties that were listed for sale in the past six months. So if it's been listed for sale in the past six months, you got to wait six months. You know, it, more than six months have to have elapsed from the time that the property was taken off the market for it to qualify to be able to uh, for this program. And let's go with our income types. So this is uh, really the kicker for the HELO program. It all boils down to 
income types versus the ELOC program, which is a little bit more restrictive on the on the income types. So on the HELOC, we do allow for your typical self-employed or salaried full doc borrowers, right? That's okay. I mean, you're going to need, I mean, number of different ways you can do it depending on the option. Some could use just the last year's W-2 and 30 days worth of pay stubs for the borrower. Even though they are going to ask you for a two-year history, they may only ask you for the W-2 and the pay stubs. If they're salaried, if they're self-employed, you are going to need the tax returns. Uh, now, for 12 or 24 months bank statements, that is possible but keep in mind that at least one of the borrowers must be self-employed for at least two years. So just because we accept 12 months bank statements doesn't mean that we're going to accept a 12 month self-employment history only, right? You gotta have been self-employed for at least two years and then we would use either 12 or 24 months personal or business bank statements. There is a standard 50% expense factor and the lowest the expense factor could go on your bank statement option is 20% with a third-party prepared P&L or letter, the third party being the tax preparer, CPA, or accountant. Uh, and for the primary and second home option only, we do also allow 24-month P&L, and we also allow 1099 with a 10% expense factor. Now, the 1099 option would be great for real estate agents, for example, right? I mean, all real estate agents get paid with a 1099. Going with a 1099 with a 10% expense factor seems to me like it would be a lot simpler than going with 12 or 24 months bank statements and then hoping that you get an 80% expense factor versus going 1099 with a 10% expense factor. The only catch is that it is for primary or second homes. And the other thing that you really have to be aware of is the DTI is a max 45%. I know in non-QM, a, a lot of us are used to 50% DTI, and in some cases, we can even get a 55% DTI. But for this type of program, max DTI is 45%, and they are very strict about it. Uh, remember, this is a second mortgage program. It is higher risk than a first mortgage program, so I don't think that there are going to be too many exceptions due to the limited uh, channels that they have on the uh, secondary side to move this product. So... Very good options here with the he loan. The biggest takeaway that that I would that you could have from here is that it does allow bank statements to be used, and it does allow for investors and investment properties to refine to finance to get their second mortgages on their investment properties. However, as I did mention earlier in the presentation, no entities. You cannot hold title in an entity. It has to be in a personal name only, and I believe I had that one right, right here. So 
no no entity vesting is allowed for this program. Primary investment properties, but no entities allowed. Vesting is allowed. All right, great. Was there anything you wanted to add to that, Nick? Sorry, you looked like I thought you looked like you were gonna. No, I was just helping Jose out there. He was he was looking for that section. Oh, okay. All right, no problem. Uh, let's see. Heather's asking, will we do a training on land? Yeah, I'll put that on the radar. That's a great suggestion. We'll do a we'll do one on land here shortly. I don't think I don't think next week, but maybe the week after. Maybe more like a ground up or one time close rather than land. Land is uh, pretty pretty tough. Very difficult. We, it can be a section of the ground up. Or, <laughs> Yeah, one slide. How did you get the land? <laughs> <laughs> definitely very tricky. Yeah, because on the yeah. ground up, uh, definitely one of the benefits of the ground up construction is that you can use it to purchase the land as well. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, as we said earlier, we're going to do a deeper dive into this on Wednesday. So we'll skip a day because of the holiday. But on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, we'll do a deeper dive into this, pull up some examples and go through that as well. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, Nick. And we will see you all Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern for the next episode of the Loan Officer Training Series with the Mortgage Calculator. Everybody have a great night. Happy holiday. Thank you, everybody. Loan officers, join the mortgage calculator as an MLO for unlimited mortgage leads and up to 250 BPS compensation.